Welcome, everybody. I'm Cheryl Cran. I'm the founder of Next Mapping, and we're here today for a phenomenal uh, video interview and podcast uh, with Dr. Thomas Ramsey. Uh, I'm going to introduce him. I'm going to put my glasses on, and then we'll get right into the interview to hear from Dr. Ramsey and his insights. It's phenomenal. I'm really excited that you're joining us. So Dr. Thomas Ramsey is the founder and CEO of Neurons, Inc., and considered one of the leading scholars and practitioners in applied neuroscience. Besides consulting for several Fortune 500 companies. He's also the author of a best-selling textbook on neuromarketing and the book Leading Transformation, a forthcoming book on Harvard University Press. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm really excited because in my line of work and for all those listening, they're, they're leaders, they're CEOs, they're executives, they're varying levels of leadership within organization, and they're all struggling with this future of work, both as a concept, but also as an application, as you and I were talking before the interview started. So I know they'll be excited to hear from you from a neuroscience uh, viewpoint on how this future of work and change is affecting people and what your research has found. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, tell us about your company and how you're helping organizations tap into human behavior. Sure. And thank you for, for, uh, for having me on the podcast. That's, I really appreciate that. I think um, to, to start off, I think uh, the work I'm doing is actually trying to combine economics, psychology, and, and neuroscience. You know, just mm-hmm. use in neuroscience alone won't really get us anything. It will be a lot of kind of measures about the brain and it won't really be able to translate that into any meaningful. So being able to triangulate those different disciplines is kind of the the, the crux of what we try to do, Uh, which means that we try to bring this kind of hardcore science into something that is applicable and insightful and that can be actionable so people can actually make changes. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if it's anything from management to marketing, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Neurons Inc. is a company that we founded 2012-2013. Um, I was still a, a professor at the Copenhagen Business School, and I was still at the University Hospital uh, in Copenhagen at the same time. Um, and as innovation sometimes goes, uh, and entrepreneurship always sometimes goes, I did that in parallel while I was uh, starting up my company. Mm-hmm. We started working with some uh, Fortune uh, 500 companies, um, very closely with some of them that we'll probably talk about here today. And uh, that kind of helped us uh, develop some of the protocols and the products and the the language that we had to invent along the way as well. So um, now we started, uh, I think that it was September 2015 that I completely stopped my uh, academic affiliation and then went all in on neurons. And, uh, you know, we've grown something like 1,300% since then. So it's been... You know, very small family business, uh, basically, in the beginning. And now we're uh, a lot of employees and we have we are on five different continents. That's amazing. That really is amazing. I, you know, personally, from a philosophical standpoint, I love that you made the transition from academia into, you know, world application. I really feel that's where we're going as a as a as a society is we need to take it into the world and into business and in business is where the change can happen. Right. So this is, you know, really exciting. The way to think about it is that uh, on the one side we have, uh, you know, how can science affect business? Um, mm-hmm. One way we very often see is that, you know, you read about a new study, for example, from a neuroscience study, and then you learn something about, you know, the brain works in this mysterious way and, you know, the way that we respond emotionally and, and so forth. That knowledge can be inspirational to the way you understand, you know, um, change management, for example. Yes. That'll be one thing. 
so that's kind of what we call translational research, mm-hmm. uh, or translational research from, uh, from, from science to, or basic science to application. But then there always is this kind of, uh, the thing is that there might be some loss in that translation. Uh, you know, we might not be completely understanding what's going on. And also it's hard to, to do other things that just work at this kind of theoretical level. So the other part of that is also to make applied research where you use the tools from, for example, neuroscience, and then you try to test things in the business context. And that's kind of, we do both, uh, but we do very much kind of rely on that empirical, tool-based uh, approach to things. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's what's going to get the attention is, is that, right? Versus, you know, just theory and, and theoretical application. So I, I'm really thrilled that your work is, is entering the business world. I'm looking forward to your book and reading it and using it as, as application and examples for clients. So can you give examples of companies you've worked with and how Neurons Inc. has helped them? Sure. Um, so there will be some I can talk about, and I can only mention some of the. Of course, I understand. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of the primary, the first one to, to mention is of course Lowe's, uh, the home improvement comp- uh-huh. company in, in the U.S. Um, for those that don't live in the U.S., uh, Lowe's is a you know it used to be a Fortune 50, now it's a Fortune 40 company, so it's been growing and. Uh, this is a kind of a DIY home improvement company that uh, sells anything from you know, uh, hammer drills to anything else, you know, garden applica- uh, appliances and so forth. And, and, and all things being equal, that company is a very traditional company, uh, but we had, uh, there was a, a, a pull or a, a drive internally with some of the stakeholders we were working for to drive innovation from within Lowe's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that we did very much was to basically test um, some of the ideas they came up with. So it's kind of concept testing. So should we go into virtual reality? Should we have uh, in-store robots, for example? And, and, and that was some of the, even at the concept test that we tested. And then once we came into prototype ste- steps for some of those inventions, we tested how c- consumers or pros or even employees were responding to those uh, new devices and new solutions. You know, some, sometimes people were just completely stalling. Other times we made adjustments and people were kind of thinking that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Understanding that was really, you know, one of the big things we did uh, continuously. We still continue to have a very strong and very, you know, strong partnership with those in terms of uh, this kind of testing for, especially for innovation, but also other parts of those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, within the retail space, which we have done a lot of work, we also have worked for IKEA, for example. Uh, maybe not a su- big surprise for being a Scandinavian company, but right, uh, right. <laughs> later on as well. But you know, they up with uh, here we're testing things that are maybe at the concept stage, or you know, if they want to venture into new uh, kind of business models, for example, how do cons- consumers respond to that, and does that have um, do people understand the relationship between the new product or new idea and the IKEA brand because they have such a strong brand? So that might actually be a challenge to them. Um, and that might also be regional differences, especially in Europe, for example. If you test in Poland and Portugal and UK, for example, people do respond very differently depending on you know, uh, cultural differences, but also the, the strength of the IKEA brand in different places. Mm-hmm. And then also for um, Ericsson and Vodafone, for example, we have tested mm-hmm. how people respond to you know, things like um, delays on a smartphone. So you can imagine if you yes. have a um, delay on a smartphone, uh, if you ask people, um, what is your tolerance to you know, going on to a website and uh, you know, if uh, there comes a buffering icon, how long do you think that will take before you will kind of get out of that video or that website? Um, 
if you ask people, it will say maybe three seconds, maybe four seconds, depending on you know uh, where the world we're asking. But what we find is that you know in Scandinavia it's three sec uh, three seconds ish, and Germany it's one second, uh, and in <laughs> it's uh, it's nine seconds. But oh, interesting. Also differences in how people. Uh, so this is measured by the brain's kind of stress response, if you like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and what we do there is that we, we are measuring, measuring how people respond cognitively. So uh, are they overloaded with information? Well, I'll just jump to the next question. So um, this is out of order uh, based on what we had pre-planned. But let's, for the purpose of the listeners, what is the actual technology? Because I, I have been at Singularity University and seen the technology in action. So it's this weird contraption that goes on your head and yeah. measures your brain's activity. So perhaps you can tell us more about the actual uh, device itself, the science behind it, what it measures, all of those good things. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that once we talk and think about brain scanners in general, there's just a, a vast amount of different technologies. So and typically, uh, most of your viewers and listeners have probably heard about fMRI. So that's where you put people into you know, huge brain scanners and they provide these kind of really kind of nice looking uh, you know, blobs in the brains and, and things like that. So that's kind of my background. Uh, you know, the vast majority of my own research comes from that type of brain scanners. But what we are mainly using, uh, because you can think of it, trying to test people inside these scanners is it's arbitrary. And it's mm -hmm. artificial environment and everything. So that you know, the limitation of that is that we can't just uh, you know test any kind of behavior inside the lab like that. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for different kinds of technologies, and uh, what we're using is an EEG device, which is basically uh, where you use electrodes on the brain. Yes. On the brain. Yes. Now you can do it. Uh, it it's kind of a, one of the oldest uh, you know measurement devices for brain activity. It has a long history of validation that's been used for uh, tons of different uh, research uh, throughout several decades, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, but now it's going through a rena renaissance where, you know, noise filtering, there is a lot of noise in the signal, but, you know, the filtering of the noise uh, and things like that allow us now to uh, use this equipment outside of the lab and mm -hmm. in the real world, uh, provided that we do those kind of noise filtering correctly then we can uh, measure people in a store environment, for example, or at a, a work environment. Mm -hmm. So when you combine the EEG, which basically measures frequency bands of, of the brain, uh, the brain is electri electrical, so uh, you know, electrochemical. So it means that when brain cells are communicating, they do that both through electrical chargers or dischargers, mm -hmm. and they also do that through chemical releases. Now, with the EEG, we're only measuring on the electrical dischargers. Okay. So, um, but of course, that's a kind of highly complex language. Uh, yeah. We can't say, oh, you know, your customers show a very, very high alpha band activity, uh, which means that they're probably falling asleep or something like that. Right. Uh, so we need to do something about those measures that can be translated into emotional scores, into cognitive scores, and other types of scores as well. So that's kind of a lot of the work we did and put in initially was to go back to the drawing board and say, you know, what do we actually know robustly from neuroscience that we can reliably say that this has to do with emotional responses, this is, you know, working memory load, and this might be stress, for example, or something like that. So we created scores that we validated uh, through my academic work, but then at the same time started to work uh, uh, with, in a business context as well. Mm -hmm. So what we do is that we have, as you probably saw, was that... Uh, you have this kind of headband uh, yes. with no computer at the back, uh, which is wireless, and it's connected to wireless, connected to a laptop. 
uh, and it can also be connected to a tablet. And you have small electrodes that uh, are basically the measuring devices. Uh, that then gets uh, sent back to the computer, which translates that into meaningful uh, metrics. Mm-hmm. So people have to go through a kind of a brief uh, benchmark exercise uh, to have the, the machine basically recognize your emotional responses and your cognitive responses. But once it's done that, then it means that if I find that your score is uh, 0.5 on the scale, it, uh, on an emotional score, for example, it will be comparable to me having a 0.5 on emotional score. So that's uh, one way to do it. And then we combine that with uh, typically with eye-tracking glasses, which allows us to see where people are watching towards, but also what they are looking at. So the combination of what people are looking at and how they respond uh, creates a a whole different dimension, so to speak, to how people respond, um, you know, second by second and even even, uh, with greater accuracy than that as well. Mm -hmm. And as you probably know, if you ask people, um, what do you think about this movie? Or how was your day at work? Uh, you can only remember kind of the, tips of the tips of the iceberg. Right. But what you do with this device is then to measure, go back in time, and that could be, it's better than being a fly on the wall. You actually fly inside people's head because you can right. see what they're looking at and how they're responding. Right. So there's all sorts of, I mean, it's so fascinating because you could take this so many different directions. When I saw the device in action at Singularity University, um, Kyle Nels, formerly from Lowe's, was was demonstrating with an audience member. And um, what I recall from watching it was that the electrodes were, you know, she was wearing the, the, the device on her head. And then on the computer, all of us in the audience were seeing the areas of her head that were lighting up when Kyle was asking her specific questions. So, of course, you know, anybody watching this or listening is thinking, um, I'm sure, thinking across the spectrum from, well, wait a second. What about privacy, right? Yeah. Or wait a second, what about accuracy? Or, uh, and because Kyle gave an example of being in a team meeting at Lowe's for innovation, and there was everybody in the meeting was wearing the device. And so they were able to measure people who were not engaged, who were engaged. They were able to measure people who liked an idea, who didn't. So it's basically truth serum. I mean, right now in meetings, right, you have a lot of people maybe not telling the truth because they're trying to protect their identity or protect their job. For me as a leadership expert, I love that this is now a transparency tool in my opinion. And, and yes, of course it helps on the consumer end, but within the office environment. So tell us a little more about the application, like how it's been used. You don't have to name the organizations, but some practical applications, how it's been used so far. Yeah. If you divide it between different parts, so B2C, that is one segment and then B2B is another. Yes. Of course. So one thing is that we do a lot of work when it comes to uh, business to consumers. Uh, so that means anything from, you know, we work with most of the social media companies, for example, to test, you know, how does this new interface, how, do people actually like it or not? And very often we will see, uh, you know, new technologies or just new iterations on an existing platform is that people might say in a survey, they might say, oh, it looks fine, and it's, you know, yeah, it works fine. Mm-hmm. But when we measure it, we can see that there are some obstacles along the way that people actually stress people a little bit. And we know through a lot of the work we've done through the several years is that we know that that can be an obstacle to actual adoption of that new platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be something that we see that uh, certain platforms have changed their interface without really testing it properly or relying on self-reports. And what we see very often is that people might say one thing, but they act in a different way. Uh, so, so that kind of goes against this, uh, you know, uh, or towards this kind of ethical problem as well, is that, you know, yeah. is that 
ethical to test people in that respect. Right. Right. Say that, um, it's unethical if we believe that the way we dis- decide is by gathering all information, sitting down and rationally thinking through everything, and then do our economic utility maximization right. and deciding, and we don't. Well, when yeah. we measure on the brain, we, we see every single time for most types of decisions, we see that there is an immediate kind of emotional labeling mm-hmm. to whatever you're looking at. If it's a bottle of Coke or if it's buying a car or if it's something else, or you're reading a report, for example, and the immediate response you have there, it's so determining for how you will uh, buy or decide eventually on that product or on that information. And it's several seconds to minutes before you consciously feel that you have made up your mind. So that's what we're tapping into. We're tapping into that response, mm-hmm. which you know, we can think of as, as having at least two parallel systems. One is the conscious system, the narrative. And then we have the subconscious system, which is actually proceeding and actually driving most of our choices. Mm-hmm. What we see again and again is that people are actually making choices and then they're making up a coherent story because that makes sense to me. I bought this because of this and that. But we can see very often it's driven by something else. So, so, so can I just, just let me interrupt you there because I think from a, from a female perspective, um, I, re- I recognize that um, there is a time when you will make a purchase that you're right, you don't even know the subliminal emotional reasoning behind the purpose, but you will justify the pur- purchase afterwards with all sorts of stories around it. So, right. you know, what I'm hearing you say is we're knowing this technology is helping on a, on a consumer side and from a client side they're getting all sorts of information around what are the emotional triggers for a buying decision. So this can transform uh, how we purchase and the way we're marketed to really. Is that what you're, you know, is that what you're seeing or? Yeah, to some extent I would say that's true. I think the vast majority of the project we're doing is actually about taking away the bad solutions. (laughs) So there's so many bad. I see. Okay. Okay. We see very often that, uh, you know, companies are so convinced that what they have is so good that what we should provide to them is just more information. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, don't do that. You know, you can see people are overloaded with information. Take away some of the information, rather tell an emotional kind of appealing story that feels right. That's what they are going with. And this is not just for business to consumers. This is also for business to business, which we mm-hmm. you know, tend to think is more rational but it's exactly the same, you know, mechanism. Interesting, yeah. So, yep. so, so that's, it's a, you know, change management is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, we are sitting and we're doing workshops and we're doing seminars and we're all agreeing that change will happen, but then we go back to our drawing boards and everything is the same the next day. Yes, yeah. And you know, habit is the, you know, the, the, the beast here to, to deal with. And habit is, you know, a subconscious response that the brain is trying to maintain as, as much as possible. And one of the things that I've researched a lot is what is the transition between subconscious and conscious processing? And mm-hmm. if you look at what happens is that to become conscious about something, it requires more or less the entire brain. We call it the global workspace. It requires a complete change and transformation of the brain activity engaged mm-hmm. to go from a habitual behavior to a well-controlled conscious behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely kind of uh, taxing for the, the mental system or for, for, for our body, actually, to be conscious about doing something. And that's why we have this kind of autopilot behavior. Yes. How to save energy. It's efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. becomes an obstruction, right, for making yeah, change. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. So it's it's like, so a lot of times in my work, I talk about the human response to change, fight or flight. And yeah. right. And so, so, um, and a lot, of, and a lot of times with my work, it can take a while for somebody to even understand their emotional uh, resistors to change or why they're afraid of change. Like a lot of times, as you and, and I know, from a psychological standpoint, there's a lot of preconditioned uh, situations that have created that response Right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I just find what you're doing absolutely fascinating. So let me ask you, um, as robotics and technology continue to impact the workplace, why is this important that you were doing this, the tapping into this subconscious for the purpose of B2B and B2C? What are some, like, you know, from my perspective, how can this change the world, really, is, is the bigger question, you know? Well, there's always good and bad uses for this, right? Right. Uh, I think that to take um, you know traditional way of improving products, um, as I say, you know, if we we have a marketplace where we accept that people can do marketing and they can you know they can try to make products that will be appealing to people, and of course that will also lead to we're allowing people to communicate to other people and we're allowing people to try to persuade other people. So we are not really changing that game. We're just trying to make it more precise, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That means that when we are helping a company try to communicate better, it means exactly we're trying to test. So instead of just coming up with some ideas and, you know, I have a design agency, for example, that comes up with a crazy idea for how to communicate, Mm -hmm. we are then testing, you know, do people actually get the message? Do you Mm -hmm. communicate? Are you being seen? Are you... Uh, are people paying attention to the right things? Will they remember you instead of just the story you're telling and things like that? So that that's some of the you know marketing related things. When it comes to uh, manage managerial decisions, it's also it's basically the same. How do you communicate to your employees, for example? Mm-hmm. Do people understand the message, or do they are they too hung up with who you are and uh, you know the positions, for example? So mm-hmm. it really depends on you know how how can we make sure that communication works the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can imagine a lot of discussions about workplace, for example, should it be an open workplace, should it right. be a phone call, uh, um, what do you call it, um, you know, these different boxes, for example, what works the best? And there are a lot of ideas and there are a lot of behavioral measures you can use or mm-hmm. self-report measures. Mm-hmm. What we can do is that we can then tap into, you know, what do people actually pay attention to? Are they disturbed? Are they, you know, we have a measure for stress, actually, so and cognitive demand. So we can see, are people actually overloaded with information? Are they disturbed all the time? Mm-hmm. So instead of only, you know, what we very often do is that we bring data to the table of the decision makers. Yes. Uh, very often, whether it's uh, which ad strategic, uh, you know, yeah. ad strategy to go with, or whether it's uh, how to help companies, uh, you know, structure the workplace, everybody has their own favorite around the table. So what we are bringing to the table is some more data, some more insights that can actually help them, you know, take away some of the bad, um, the bad solutions, and then focus on the remaining ones that we see is more to negotiate about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, for me, I'm I'm thinking from my perspective, you know, it would be a new way of doing employee surveys, for example. So, you know, right now with employee surveys, as you and I know, in larger organizations, they're the same questions, they're administered by an outside party, and the questions don't really, in my opinion, they don't really get to the 
to the heart of the issue of what we really want to uncover. I mean, one of the things we do really well at Next Mapping is get into the psychology of it and the behaviors. Your technology is definitely something that I would love to get my hands on in the future for what we do. Because, you know, if you if you survey employees and you're now getting cognitively that they're actually stressed beyond what they even say they are, or that they're not even able to function at, at the base level, let alone a high performance level. Well, that's a whole bunch of valuable data for or organization to reorganize its complete structure, to reorganize a lot of things. So I feel like you're on the, on the leading edge of some massive change here that's going to happen within organizations. And um, so to that point, how can uh, companies get a hold of you um, or, you know, for you and I, how can we collaborate? I mean, I think what you're doing is brilliant and I think it is the future of feedback and the future of information. So how can we connect yeah. with you and get in touch with you? Yeah. Yeah, of course we have a website. So it's Neuro. Yes. That would be the way to start, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think that if you're interested in this, you know, part of this is what, what I do is within more kind of, uh, consumer science, consumer psychology, that's part of what I've done as well. So we even have a, a freely available Coursera course that we made. Uh, I think it's okay. a thousand people who have taken it now, so it's uh, pretty Wonderful. Okay. And I think it's related to that. Uh, of course, uh, if you look for the book, which is coming out in November, that's Leading yes. Transformation. Uh, so that's from Harvard uh, Press. Uh, so there'll be some places to start at least. Um, otherwise, I think that in general, um, you know, connect me on, to me on, on LinkedIn. That would probably be one of the, the first places to start. I, right. Yeah, that would be probably some of the places. Right. So if a company wants to hire your services, they would just go to the website and reach out to you, and then you would begin the, the, the process. And what about strategic partnerships? The same same approach, have, have those people reach out to you? Because I, I can really see, Dr. Ramsey, you're going to be swamped if you aren't already um, I can see, yeah, I can see. Because this, so we, we, we've grown, as I said, you know, 1,300%. Yes, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. We, do have, we have found kind of a good growth model. And let me just say that, you know, one of the things that we are just about opening now is mm -hmm. use this technology for uh, management and leadership. And this is something Ex we can as well. Excellent, you know, yeah. So working with profiling, you know, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the personality inventories that are being used in management is, um, let's put it that way, not too valid and not too reliable. Agreed. So test the same person two times on a personality inventory, uh, like the Myers-Briggs, for example. Yes. People end up with the same response. Mm -hmm. And the whole theoretical background to that is Jungian psychology, which is, doubt, you know, dubious, to be, to be honest. It's not scientific. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are some certain things that we have, like batteries that are de developed through several years of, uh, of testing, like creativity battery, empathy test, for example, that are, can be used to test people on different, um, on different skills. So that's one thing. The second step is to test, you know, um, it's like a workplace mapping. So are people feel, feeling stressed at the workplace? Are there things that are obstructive to their, their workday, for example? Mm -hmm. Or things like learning new skills at, the, at work. Uh, that could be you know, high-skilled work. It could be an introduction to other types of work. We have found different ways that optimize people's learning skills. Mm -hmm. And then the last bulk there would be how teams are synchronized brain-wise yep. while doing different tasks. So those are kind of three things that you will hopefully see uh, in a very fantastic, yeah. 
Yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, I just I think the the merging of science with business is where we have needed to go. And I think now that we have science backed solutions like what you're providing with Neurons Inc., it just gets me super excited. So, Dr. Ramsey, I'm so grateful that you spent the time here and sharing your insights and wisdom with all of our listeners and viewers. Um, thank you so much. And we will definitely be in touch. You and I, I will follow up to this interview and uh, have a wonderful rest of your evening there. In uh, it's Copenhagen, right? Where you are? Copenhagen, yes. Vermont. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks so much, and have uh, an enjoyable rest of your evening. Thank you. Perfect. You too. Take care.